Hello. Hello, mate. You okay? <clears throat> I'm very well, thank you. Got the NFL on in the background. So if I get distracted, it's because a man ran a little bit further than another man. So it's all good. And there isn't an advert break or anything like that? Well, there's an ad break every five seconds in the NFL, so it's it's not it's not uncommon, is it? That's the greats of um, of the NFL. Well, not just the NFL, just American football. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like it's it's like like I was saying in one of our previous pods. Like it's good to have on in the background when you're doing something, because when you yeah. when you when you'll be talking, I'll just I'll just look here and I'll go oh. It's still exactly the same score that it was before. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to what Dan's saying. And we'll, and we'll just go back and forth like that. Although, speaking of the NFL, which is an excellent segue, um, the NFL has played previously at Tottenham. That's the segue in my mind, although that's kind of a bit shit. Anyway, um, we wanted to kind of recap um, the rest of the All or Nothing documentary series where... They, Amazon, followed Spurs through the rest of their season and it basically left off around Christmas time, which is the busiest period for the Premier League. And, you know, there's that iconic line of Jose going, oh, we, we have very good chances to fuck them, very good chances. And then they didn't get anywhere close, well, <laughs> which I just well, thought. Well, it's all talk and I think we'll go into a little bit more depth in... Um, as we start speaking more yeah. about it, um, but as um, b- before we really go into depth with it, it's what got me and what made me really think about it afterwards is that it's their approved message to the fans. Oh, yeah, it's not really what they're like because they yeah. showed what they wanted you to see. Exactly. And from that. I was kind of brainwashed first time I saw that. And, you know, the first recording that we did, I went, oh, well, they're going to do great. Yeah, that you know, Mourinho is actually doing well. But we don't really know that. They're not really showing their results, but that's the case. Yeah. So they showed how they want to be seen, and that's how media is nowadays. So yeah. it's not really what they are. So it's this approved message from Daniel Levy yeah. of, oh, well, you know, Mourinho works hard and he has had so many things out of his control and he still manages himself well. But then, you know, we can't recruit players. So recruiting players is really difficult and it's really hard work. So we need to mention that. We signed a player for too much money who isn't really showing his value for it in, yeah. in Dombele. So we need to talk about that. We'll condense it a little bit. We'll just talk about it for about 15, 20 minutes. Maybe, maybe tops for about half hour. Yeah. Um, we won't talk about how we tried to use the furlough scheme and try to create a mockery out of how much money we make, but still use the government for it. Um, and then we'll just go on and j- j- pretend like we're a good football club by saying that we're going to fuck Chelsea and then Chelsea will go into the Champions League and we'll pretend that Europa League is what we aimed for in the first place. That's such a good point, actually. Like They acted like the Europa League was a win. And it's like, what? You guys were in the Champions, the Champions League final the year before. You've had such a fall from grace and you're not going to acknowledge it at all. But the whole thing, you know, that was my feeling when I watched that final episode. I was like, oh, they, they, what, what would have been really great to see was, would, would have been interesting to see how it was during lockdown. They showed it for like five seconds 
of them going, oh my God, we miss each other so much. Oh, I can't, I can't wait to be back with you guys. Oh. And then they, and then they just cut to them being back. That's like two, two odd months that they missed. And and like you mentioned, Talking obviously, about what they've missed. How much have they covered on Pochettino when he's managed about two or three months of them at the start of the season? Exactly, they were talking about him for like fifteen minutes. So it's it's very it's overall. It, I think my overall feeling was that it was a very weird documentary. It, it it's kind of like what I said pre in the last pod we did about it, where it's just a massive PR exercise for Tottenham more than anything else. And it is exactly what they want you to see. They showed a little bit of an argument between players. Oh, they Son and Hugo Lloris had an argument at half time, but we came back to win and we're such a good team that that's just all part of it, isn't it, chaps? I just what? for me, I've I've as a Chelsea fan, you know, Mourinho was a, a very big figure in my yeah. footballing eyes. So um when, of course, when he went to, um, well, after his second spell, really, at Chelsea, it kind of went downhill for me with him. Yeah. Um, and then when he got the Man United job, he completely burned off his bridges. But that's a different case in itself. So how he was portrayed in that documentary is actually very different to how he has been portrayed in the media, like as a whole media, mm. where you um, see him give, like, shit to other managers by saying um, I don't know Mourinho talks a lot, a lot of crap he now, talks a lot of shit about a lot so, of people so it's hard to keep track <laughs> yeah the latest one is Solskjaer how um, Solskjaer had a dig at him for not for, for having a go at the UEFA um, officials for knowing what the goal size is and um, Solskjaer had a go at him for that so then Mourinho went oh well it's funny you know what the um 22 yard boxes because that's the only space that you score your goals from so I was like right well he knows who to dig at because he will just say whatever he wants to say and no one will really say anything back to that mate so, mate 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 the thing the thing that you're missing from that whole thing is the fact that he knew the dimensions of the goal but Man United still struggled to get things into it at times <laughs> <laughs> this is Marine. You know the story, don't you? You know what happened. What? So Tottenham played against. Um, I, I no disrespect to this team, but but they're a Europa League team, which is from like a league that no one's heard of. They're called like Shendia something. I'm feeling Romania. Right. So okay. um, they went to play there, and of course these qualifying rounds are one-legged at the moment, so they catch up and they start the group stage a little bit earlier because they're already so far behind Yeah. Um, so they went and goalkeepers were um, warming up and whatever, and they came back to Mourinho, so the, the goal just seems too small, like it's, it's we, we can touch it just by reaching our hand up, like we don't have right. to jump or anything, so he went, measured it up, he was like I feel like this is too small. So he actually made the UEFA officials change the goal frame because they were five centimetres too short. Right. So that's what Solskjaer had a go at Mourinho for. Mourinho's oh. like, well, fuck you. You know, you, the only thing you know the size of is the box because all <laughs> your players do is fucking dive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good old Bruno. <laughs> Another dig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm but, not Jose Mourinho and we've got five people listening to this. It's fine. We've got five people listening. Exactly, we're, yeah. They're all bots. 
Oh, uh, that makes sense then. Yeah, they're bots to, from Anchor to make us feel better about ourselves. <laughs> so that we'll co- keep going and using their platform. Um, sorry, you were going to say something before I spoke over so, you. With how he's portrayed, he, he's, they don't really talk about his tactical um, conversations. We, I think there was one thing that they talked about tactical yeah. um, involvement, and that was when he said to Aurier to go upfield when they were playing against Olympiacos. And he went, just go upfield, don't worry. Ericsson's got your back at right back. You just plough down the right-hand side. And the only reason to why they actually brought that up is because he went and scored the winning goal in that yeah. game yeah so and anything else other than that there's not really a lot more and if any of the viewers or if you've seen the man city documentary pep guardiola talks about tactics a lot more in that or amazon portray him to talk about tactics a lot more so Mourinho is actually brought out to be this persuasive emotional person where he's saying well if you fight for me we're i'm going to make you win trophies i'm going to make you great i'm going to do this it's like well great yeah it's having this persuasive language is good but at the end of the day even carried on to this season i know that this is his first full season at tottenham he's not like seeming to have that big of an impact they i mean be it they had this last minute um controversial handball with newcastle today or a few days ago for when Mm. you guys are listening but um it still seems like something's not clicking i'm not there watching tottenham games don't get me wrong i've got it it doesn't turn me on so (laughs) from what i see from the highlights something's not clicking and it just seems like all they want to show is synthetic entertainment where he's saying, oh, well, you guys are going to go do this. I've got your back. And he's got this charisma about him where he does make it feel like a family club where he makes everyone feel welcome. But then he had Danny Rose come and confront him about not playing him. Mm. And the way he handled it or the way they showed that he handled it was actually really well. And then Danny Rose threw his toys out of the pram, which didn't seem very professional from his side of things. We were, I'm yeah. just going to go talk to Daniel Levy, which is, again, not a very professional way of sorting things out. But why did Mourinho not talk to him beforehand? Because a, a, a true professional would say, well, look, you are playing okay. You're not an outstanding player at the moment with your performances. You're not in my plans. You might not be getting as many minutes in the next few months as you would like. Yeah. So what are you thinking? Go and confront the situation before it happens. And I feel like great leaders are there to be proactive, not reactive. So he should have actually, if I'm being really, really critical, he should have gone to that situation before Danny Rose thought about coming into training early and going to talk to Jose Mourinho. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's actually... That's not portrayed. It's portrayed as... Danny Rose coming in and being the mug because he's not getting the minutes. And be it, I understand from Jose Mourinho's point of view that Danny Rose just came out of the blue and he's not playing well and he wants minutes. And it's like, well, yeah, it makes sense to why he is portrayed that way. But then yeah. again, if we're going to be critical, Mourinho is not really being a great leader in that sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I have no counter arguments to that. That's a, that's a great point you make. Like, a leader would anticipate this kind of thing happening because I, again, not a huge football fan. I don't know how much Danny Rose was playing before Mourinho arrived. I guess he was a starting 11 player, frequently for Spurs. 
Relatively so, yeah. He was more or less in and out. And then he replaces him with Ben Davies, who then gets injured, and then he's playing other people instead of Danny Rose in the first place, which I, I can see why that would be a massive slap in the face and why that would be a massive head fuck for Danny and why he would be pissed off and why he would want to speak to a manager about it. But anyone with half a brain knowing all of this stuff would go, okay, this guy's going to react in this way. So I need to, as you say, need to preempt that. And I need to have this conversation and say, hey, I, I'm, I'm trying to decide or I'm, you're not in my plans or whatever. This is, where I, this is where you stand. And so the fact that he didn't do that is, a bit, is quite strange. And for someone as experienced as Mourinho, it just makes you think, what the fuck? But the whole thing, like the, the Man City documentary, it, the thing that I'm trying to get at is that the Man City documentary... It, it was, it, it probably was a bit of a PR exercise from, from in both of those documentaries, but the Man City documentary felt a bit more uh, like they, a bit more normal. Whereas this Spurs documentary, it feels like they've just decided to uh, look at it through rose tinted glasses and there's no, they, they've tried to whitewash any negatives out, if that makes sense. Whereas City, they're happy. They were happy to leave a lot more negative things in, and it felt a bit more human. Would you say? Yes, but also City won the league in those two seasons. I believe that they showed it all. The, the, the one season, yeah. They they won the league, so they wouldn't have really had as much to say because they did things right, more or less. They they wouldn't have as much to confront about. Um, uh, not getting top four and getting out of the FA Cup and the Champions League as well. So I think the only thing Man City really had that year is losing to Wigan in the FA Cup. And that was confronted there and then where they, you know, Guardiola approached the game and he was saying to the players, this is going to be a difficult game. Don't think it's going to be easy. Yeah. They're going to causing us trouble. And he was saying, my research analyst has said this and that. And it was all showed before the game. Yeah. So, Yes, I see what you're saying, but I also feel like with this, this is more of a... Um, they had a lot more drama this year at Tottenham than probably Man City did that year. Yeah. So Tottenham, more likely or not, regulated what they actually put out there. Mm. And Tottenham probably said no to half the stuff that Amazon wanted to put out there. So that's why they made it, like you say, more artificial and less human. Um or normal, I don't know what you want to call it, but it to leave three months um, or well, condensing well, 50 content. minutes at the start of the season and then yeah. not really have much during lockdown, I get that there's not really much going to be to cover, but quite a few things have been condensed, quite a few things have been blown up out of proportion. So I think what I'm trying to say is, too many things were condensed and too many things were blown out of proportion to make it look like it wasn't a normal thing. Whereas at Man City, it was kind of consistent all throughout the year, how their year was doing. And it was kind of like that. They were on a high pretty much the whole year. They had a few downs, um, but that was taken on board straight away. Now that I think about it, the Man City documentary 
it felt like it had a natural flow, didn't it? It felt like it naturally followed the Premier League season and then a couple of times it would cut back to give context to certain players' stories or whatever. Whereas yeah. the Spurs dock, it, it, it jumped around all over the place. Like you said, they missed out two, three months at the beginning of the season before they really get into it. And then they go really in-depth for one month and then you, you've got another big gap and then you've got another intense period of, of um, footage coming out and then they skip the whole thing over lockdown and then you've got another couple of weeks and then that's the season. So what? So they're basically showing about two months out of a nine-month season, effectively? Yeah, I just... I mean, it was all... It seemed very, very... Not amateur in a way that... Um, in editing only sort of way but amateur in the way the storyline was presented and yes. be it it's probably not amazon's fault that it, they presented it that way it's probably more so like we said tottenham kind of went well no we're not being portrayed like that no we're not being portrayed like that that could stay but make it a little bit smaller kind of thing so it's the same with Mourinho. like we i've i've said that you know he's he's presented um to be this figure where he deals with a lot of things like manfully with like injuries. So it's out of his control. There's a lot of bad luck going on. You've got Harry Kane injured. You've got um, Son injured. Team haven't got enough players to perform. And then they're continue talking about how difficult it is to make a transfer when they're continuously being criticised in the whole media and by their fans that they're not signing good enough players. Yeah. And all they do is just say, oh, well, you know, it's really difficult to sign players. It's actually some really complicated. And it could be, you're right, but other teams are doing it. So yeah. what what is it about you guys that is making it more difficult or more complicated to actually sign those players? Yeah, teams that you're competing directly against are having an easier time of signing better quality players. So why is that uh, an issue for Spurs? I'm not sure if saying an easier time but they're making it happen. Yeah, whereas, yeah. Where, whereas, from again, this is from what we were portrayed. Yeah. Um, Tottenham are deflecting these criticisms for recruitment. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Not COVID-related, I promise. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's just death coming over me. Um, but what was I going to say? They seem to be deflecting it onto this other person, this other random thing that controls the finances somehow. And we don't get to see that ever. Like, it's just this weird entity that controls the purse strings at Spurs that no one gets to see ever. It's really weird. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, to summarise it, I think what I can say is it's a false reality, isn't it? It's the club's oh, yeah. version of what the truth is. It's Daniel Levy's message of approval of we want to have some kind of um, PR. We're getting 10 million pounds or so for it. So we're getting some income for it. We want to be portrayed the best way. Yes, we've had injuries. Let us, let's show everyone that we want sympathy for it. Let's show everyone that we do find it really difficult to sign players and how difficult it is to sign players. Um, And let's not show the bad stuff where we've, you know, we've signed a player that's probably not worth his value or not showed that he's worth his value. And 
that we've tried to use the government scheme um, for job protection, we're not going to show that. So um, it's those kind of things where I've actually become more critical after watching it. I've started thinking about it a lot more. Whereas, again, as I said, first time seeing it in the first few episodes, it was just that overwhelming reality of, oh, you've got the inside of the background of this amazing big football club. They've built their new stadium that's probably the best stadium in the world. And be it, it probably is right at the moment, yeah. one of the best stadiums in the world. Um, but they wouldn't stop talking about that, would they? they, were, they he kept going on about how we can't have fans in the stadium and how we want to finish the season because, of, you know, we've got the home advantage. And yes, yes and yes, mm-hmm. it's all right. But there is no reality checks in it. It's all how the senior management of Tottenham want to be and their ideal world of, right, we're, we're aiming for the Champions League because we're going to go and do this and that and that. And then the flipping management and coaching staff are jumping around when they reach sixth spot. <laughs> They've scraped Europa League qualifiers. Are they, and they're still in the Europa League now, are they? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I bet they were loving life when they beat that fucking Romanian team away. <laughs> wow. Although as a West Ham fan, I cannot talk because in 2016, West Ham's first season in their new Olympic stadium we got knocked out in the Europa League qualifiers to a Romanian team. We lost 2-0 on aggregate because it was over two legs. And I was, I was there at that game, right? And this is the thing that really annoys me about West Ham fans. Some of them are just, well, well about some football fans, because some, some football fans are just fucking idiots, um, where we were losing and some of our fans started chanting at our own players saying Kuyate, who's an African player, is a stupid N-word. And you're like, really? This, 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 this is the team you support. You're allowed to take the piss if it's a bad performance, if you're losing, but you're, go- but you're just going to be straight up racist to the guys that are playing for you. There's a fine line between taking the piss and being a racist, though, isn't there? <laughs> Obviously. That's a clear line. And... That, that's just a quick rant I wanted to get off my chest because some people can be very emotional and stupid and it just frustrated me so much. Like this documentary frustrated me because it's not a true reflection, but I don't think... I, I think from now on, everyone should have... Whoever, if, if Amazon do decide, are able to get another documentary out, it would, first of all, it would be interesting to see who they go to, whether they're able to go to Liverpool because Liverpool are top dog right now or whether they're going to be able to go to somewhere like Chelsea or maybe Man United because Man United has the heritage and they like those those types of things, maybe. I don't know. Just throwing ideas out. What, there. having PR stunts? Yep. <laughs> you know, I don't think you're too wrong there. Um, I think Man United will have a big, big stamp on it, but it also asks the question of is Amazon big enough platform because they've lured Amazon have lured a lot of people with their grand tour showings, but grand tour haven't aired for a good while now. And their last episode was about boats. So um, it's, it's not really going their way. I know there's a few shows on Amazon prime, but it's still not really as big as Netflix. Right. Right. All I'm trying to say is Amazon could go to these big clubs, but, and I do think this is how it's going to go, where clubs are going to be showing their 
inside of what's going on there, um, quote unquote, but they're going to be choosing how they're going to be shown instead of providing um, vid, like, you know, DVDs at the end of the season, how their season went and all of their highlights and all that. Um, they're just going to be doing these documentaries where it's going to be a little bit more personal, I guess, and a bit more entertaining with this synthetic entertainment, I guess, that the club will present themselves how they want to be presented. This just reminded me of something that I've watched on YouTube because being a fan of the NFL watching a game right now, um, it reminded me of a team called the Cleveland Browns, which are dog shit. They are a terrible team. But what they've been doing the last two or three years is on their YouTube channel, they've been putting out these behind the scenes, uh, I think it's called Behind the Browns or something like that. Um, uh, following... You want to have a shit? That's where you watch Behind the Browns. <laughs> What a name for a, for a documentary or for a series. <laughs> <laughs> I need to double check the name, but it's it's some, it's something like that, you know, because it's got a rhyme, hasn't it? Being the Browns yeah. or something like that. Um, but it, it follows their seat. It follows um, their preseason. So right from you know the, the NFL draft, the drafting process, and the preseason process, and all of that. Um, and I've been loving that, even though I'm not a Browns fan at all. It's just, it's just cool to watch. So I think Premier League clubs, if they're smart, they can take this and they can run with it. Um, and I know that the few clips that I've seen, like behind Liverpool's training, where it's just them running a bleep test, that's got a lot of views for some reason. So there's a market for it. And if it's well made, and if it's behind the scenes, uh, I think people would, would watch it. I do think that um, clubs have been trying to utilise YouTube a lot more. And yeah. instead of putting out this kind of like, I know Chelsea did a, a little like um, season review with um, uploading six episodes on YouTube. So instead of having this middleman of Amazon Prime, they go to YouTube and they gain some Google AdSense money from it, I'm assuming, or some sponsors subsidise them for it. Yeah, or, or it's just good PR in general, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I do think, as I said, I do think this is the way for the future where clubs will present themselves in the way that they want to be presented. Um, it's not going to be the real truth because yeah. at the end of the day, um, <clears throat> it, it's all about PR, isn't it? It's all about expanding this fan base, expanding their revenues and expanding their merchandise sales. Yeah, I, I was just checking, by the way, it's, the name of the series is Building the Browns, not Behind the Browns. So, <laughs> building the Browns is yeah. literally like you're going to build a shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're building a shit football team year on year, so it's not that big of a surprise. Um, I, think, I, think, I think we've just found our title right there. Because we've applied <laughs> to Spurs and it can be applied to Cleveland Browns. There's our title. Oh. Right, well, we're just going to have a quick break and yeah. then we'll be back in... Well, no time for you guys. Yeah. Two hours for us. See you then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, where were we? We were talking about... Okay, welcome back, first of all. This is the worst fucking intro to the after the break that you've probably ever heard but this is a man in his bedroom by himself so 
deal with it. <laughs> this is, I'm just doing this to make myself laugh at this point. Um, I don't think anyone's going to listen past this point now. A man in his bedroom on his own. Yeah, exactly. Like that. How how un, how uncommon is that? It's literally everywhere across the land, especially if you're an incel, which I am definitely not. Please don't out me as an incel. <laughs> I have had sexual intercourse before, I promise. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we were talking about Tottenham and how technology has moved on in that sense of um, where. Shall, shall, I, shall I give you a minute? <laughs> Keep going, keep going. It's fine. I'll, I'll mute myself on the Zoom call. So we're talking about how um, clubs have been able to create a DVD about what <sighs> 15, 10 years ago. Yes. Um, of like their season review, and where now they can create this. I don't know six, nine, 12 part series mm-hmm. where they can summarize behind the scenes of what happens in the training round, not only on the pitch, um, and create all this um, feeling that the clubs are in behind the scenes and they know what goes on. Making the fans feel like they're there with the team throughout. And yes, it, it, because there's a massive market for that. Like I, on Amazon, they, as well as doing the all or nothing for the football, proper football, um, they also do all or nothing for the American football. And that's where they initially got started with these all or nothing series, because they did it, first of all, um, in the NFL with Arizona back in 2015. And they've kept doing it every year since then. Uh, and I've kind of noticed each year that it's got a little bit more sanitized, um, the documentary, because the first one that they showed was was pretty raw although to be fair it was um following arizona which their head coach bruce arians was a, a straight talker like a proper straight talker like he wasn't bullshitting and the upper management weren't bullshitting either it's, it's the complete opposite of the spurs documentary where it's completely unsanitized well, of course there's going to be some bits that are going to be removed that are particularly bad but it's it doesn't feel sanitized like the Spurs documentary does Mm. it feels real and Bruce Arians feels like a real person you know that's just being himself on camera Um, and that was what it really endeared me to these all or nothing documentaries but as time's gone on it's become much more sanitized um, and much more professional like it used to be when you would have DVDs and you'd watch match of the day and things speaking of which as time's gone on, you know, we've seen the match of the day studio massively change. Like beforehand, it used to be two blokes in a room just chatting about football. And now it's just like a fucking 3D green screen thing. And when you see the behind the scenes of that, you're like, oh, fuck. Everyone, seemed, everyone was so shocked, weren't they? When, when they suddenly realized that it was just a green screen and not two men in this massive studio with all these lights and things. You're like, yeah. Stop saying two men. It could be more than two men, or it could be women as well. Oh yeah, it could, or or it could be a non-specific gender person who. who it gets could be crazy. a microwave, and it could be a helicopter. <laughs> it could be an Apache helicopter just sat there talking about For someone who's going. <laughs> that could be that could be their analysis of of a certain player just going. <laughs> And if the and if they're shit, they, the plane crashes or something. Uh, the plane goes. Doo! 
or something like that. I don't know. Or the microwave would just be sat there going, and then just explode. <laughs> so, so what's your own analysis, microwave? <laughs> I see. It was terrible. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It came from the Middle East. What? <laughs> the microwave. Yes, this, this was this microwave was specifically produced in Lebanon, in the city of Beirut, wasn't it? In in the dockyard, right? Oh, we're terrible people. We're <laughs> terrible people. Oh God, we may get two extra listeners for that. Well, I hope you enjoy. Brilliant. Um, two extra listeners for us. Yay! Still no ad rev, but nobody cares. <laughs> it's all good. We're just two lads bantering. Um, uh, anyway, back to the technology point where... in sports. Yeah, well, I start to question with, with all this green screen of, you know, they've got all this, um, all these editing facilities and match of the day and what they're trying to, you know, cut from 90 minutes down to like three minute highlights, four minute highlights. And they've got like 10 games to show. So essentially they've got an hour and a half and they've got to show four or five minutes of every game. And then they've got to analyze it and then go on to another game. So they're sat there. And I start to question, how long is it going to be until people sat there in the studio and editing these games themselves before, you know, AI machines come in and start to say, well, actually, we've had a lot more interaction. I don't know. We've had, I don't know how. There's no technology of it at the moment. Or there could be, I don't know. But there's some sort of more interaction go on when um, there's goals scored. So we're going to edit that and put that in the game. Or when there's a shot into um, into the box, the fans, not that there might not be fans to going forward, but when there is fans back in the stadium, there's more noise. And that's where we're going to cut the film and we're going to use that in the highlights. This sort of technology, I start to wonder and genuinely get a little bit scared of how the future is going to be like when these so-called robots are going to be taking over jobs and not foreigners taking over jobs um, (laughs) 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 where where the actual human person is going to be pretty much redundant to most things and it makes me question what is the human body or what is the human the average human going to be able to do in right. like 30, 40, 50 years time when we've got all these AI things to be doing these things. Well, AI, first of all, I think AI will already be influencing things like match of the day because they'll clearly, they will have data on um, what people react to when they're watching football highlights. And it's the same thing when you, like be, being a bigger fan of Formula One, um, I, I read the comments of the highlight because before Formula One puts their official highlights up, some crappier channel, fake Formula One channels will put up their highlights of a race. And you, it's so weird and disjointed and it just doesn't work. And I, I feel like Formula One, um, they'll get their data back of what people are talking about, first of all, on the internet. And then they'll get their feedback based on the race um, where people may have switched on or off to watch, if that makes sense. So they'll, they'll have data already on what people are interested in and they will find ways to work that into the highlights to get 
to keep people watching for longer. Now, there's a documentary on Netflix. I can't remember the exact name. I think it's like The Social Dilemma or something like that. I know exactly what you're talking about, yeah. Talking about AI and social media. I'm yet to see it, um, but I, I've heard some good things about it. And this links into what you're saying with the influence of AI and everything. And, you know, the impact that it will have on sports. First of all, having the NFL on in the background demonstrates to me where AI will be really, really effective because coaches spend ages and ages in the NFL analyzing certain teams' habits um, to, in order to make the correct decision in the fourth quarter of a game when they need to score. AI could do all of that for them and then they can just focus on designing plays and certain things to help them win the game based off of that data so that they can be more time efficient. So that's one way in which AI, um, and, that, and that will be the same thing. Well, it will be a similar thing in basketball, but not, it won't have as much of an impact in football because football is a lot more free-flowing and it's not as regimented as a sport like the NFL or rugby. Um, but that, that's one way in which AI could impact it. Now, in terms of the way it impacts the media, it already will be because they'll have data on what people react to on social media. Like people will put certain clips up and they'll be able to analyze how quickly people like something, how much, whether people stay looking at a certain video for, for a certain amount of time and see that that's capturing a lot of attention. So in terms of the media, that it's, it's already having an effect. But in terms of sport, we're yet to see that. And so that's, that's where the speculation comes in and where it's actually quite interesting to think about where it could go. And I think looking at the whole perspective of mine where I say, oh, well, it's actually quite scary of what, what could be and what could happen. Yeah. But then you look at it and um, everyone's got a mobile phone, haven't they? Yeah. Where my, a mobile phone is pretty much a part of you. It's, you can't live without it. So yeah. um, if we look at it even 20 years ago, how would you get a calculation that you couldn't work out in your head? you would get a calculator but before that what would you do you would probably have to write it down and actually work it out yeah so we're already becoming this pretty much cyborg society where without a phone a phone is a part of you you can't live without your phone like we're pretty much cyborgs already be it it's not connected into us like into our internal organs but i'm sure that you know, when Mm. we've got kidney replacements and heart replacements and lung replacements and that kind of technology where it gets to that level, I don't know if it ever will, but if it ever does, where it gets to that level, I'm pretty sure that it will be a lot easier to be able to contact what's going on in your brain to what's going on to an external um, device where potentially reading a book or watching a film might not really be needed all you got to do is just put something to your brain and then it's downloaded you've got all the information and we'll be even more of a cyborg by that time yeah that's that's basically just elon musk's uh what's it called Neuralink. i don't know exactly the details of it but that you know the idea of implanting a microchip in my brain is something i don't even want to think about until there's enough evidence of it being a good thing to have um and that's that sounds a lot like what you're trying to describe um but i you know me me personally the idea of doing that i'm a long way off of being comfortable with that but 
you know, you make a good point that we are in a ways a semi-cyborg society already, like being controlled by this thing here, by my iPhone and your Android because you're not a sheep and you don't follow the crowd, but then you still have a smartphone. Aren't you so fucking well, I can't afford an iPhone, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure if you bought one secondhand, you'd be all right. Buy, buy an yeah. iPhone 5. Why not? Oh, oh, I had that about six years ago. <laughs> oh, God. That is dated, actually, isn't it? But you get the point. Like, yeah. um, you, know, you know, it's such an important part of us. And you see... I remember when I was younger and my sister lost her phone and she was freaking the fuck out over this smartphone that she'd had for a year or so. And it's already at that age, it's having such a grip on, on you. So imagine when you've been using a smartphone, I, I've had a smartphone for a long time now, at least five years. It definitely will have been longer. Oh God, it's coming up to 10 years that I'll have had a smartphone of some sort. That's, that's, a big, big part of your life to, mm. for these things to have figured out what you like, what you don't like and how you are and how it can influence you. And that's, that's a scary possibility because Mark Zuckerberg could start fucking with me or Elon Musk well, or whoever. I mean, you say start, I'm pretty sure he <laughs> has been by, by you having a conversation to someone say, oh, I need to buy this. And suddenly you scroll through Facebook and yes. you, you've you got that thing popping up to buy from Wish or something like that. And you, you think, what the hell happened here? Like I was literally talking to someone about that. And it's scary because we we say, oh, well, our phones are listening. We, we joke about it. But genuinely, when Zuckerberg was in, the, um, <clears throat> in court about selling our data and all that, he genuinely does it like yeah yeah he, he sold it to cambridge analytica um for them to use to be target people for the eu uh, referendum and i'm and i'm sure uh, this is a guess but i i'm fairly certain that trump's team were also would also have been involved with cambridge analytica correct me if i'm wrong Either way, I'm I'm not fully aware of any of that, so I don't want to comment on things I don't <laughs> know much about. Fair enough. Yeah, and if I am wrong, massive apologies, Mr. Trump. I know you don't listen, and I know you don't care about, <laughs> me, but still, it's it's important to put that out there. Um, anyway, there, the there's lots of data available. Yeah, the, the reason why I brought up this whole um, AI and being brought into um, you know our lives and all that it, it makes me wonder because it's inevitable that ai is going to take over a lot of jobs and people won't yeah. be needed for like you know simple things like drivers with we're not going to need drivers cars are going to be autonomous like the teslas are starting to be and be it it's, it's this first phase where we as human race not trusting the autopilot to go do its thing but <clears throat> eventually when we look at a, a plane for probably about what 80% of the time is an autopilot. When you look at the takeoff, take out the takeoff and landing, a plane is pretty much an autopilot the whole the rest Can of the I time. Can I just interject here real quick? Because I'm aware that the technology has already been created for um, pilotless planes commercially to exist, but they're not putting that into production because they know that the general public would never accept that 
I mean, would you fly on a pilotless plane? I wouldn't. It's the same reason to why uh, autonomous cars not taking off, well, not literally taking off, but <laughs> in figurative, <coughs> excuse me, in figurative words. Yeah. Because a car already parks for you, it already has lane control, already has adaptive cruise control, already has all these things that it pretty much does its own thing. You yeah. just need to make sure that it doesn't do something that it's not supposed to in the very, very small percentage that it might. Yeah. So that's what a plane is nowadays as well. A pilot is there, he's trained to do what needs to be done, mm-hmm. but he doesn't do much because the plane does his own thing majority of its time. The only thing he needs to do is to make sure that for takeoff and landing, everything else is safe. And And if there's emergency procedures in place, then he'll be able to deal with that. But I'm sure that there'll be a program already to have dealt with that in the system. Yeah. And and it's going to be the same thing with jobs. So again, trying to go back to what my, to what we started off this conversation with is when are athletes going to be taken out of the uh, out of the question? When is oh, it going to be that when you've mentioned about those microchips being planted, that athletes are going to be um, told that they're superhumans by I don't know um, taking performance enhancing drugs? Is that a performance enhancing drug? Who's to say? Hmm. I do remember watching this documentary a couple of years ago talking about the ways in which doping in sport will evolve. And one of the things that they spoke about was gene doping. I don't know if you're aware of it. It It's basically where they had the ability to manipulate um, certain genes to enhance certain qualities in rats. They basically were able to make these rats super jacked by manipulating a certain gene and everything else with their health was fine, but they were just super fucking strong. And so, and they were able to enhance other qualities as well. And so it, it does make you question whether that will come into effect in professional sports and how the um, governing bodies will deal with that. Will they allow that? Because it's how they are, right? It's just how they are naturally in inverted commas, naturally, they haven't taken any steroids. They've just manipulated a couple of genes to, I don't know, produce more testosterone, potentially to make them stronger, to build more muscle, potentially. There's, there's lots of different ways that that can go, but that is a real possibility that could happen, that technology could influence sport in that way. Sporting and, performance, not, not in a sports science way, where it's already you know, influencing it, but it will influence it more directly in the way of someone's going to have more muscle by having something in their body um, that we haven't been able to do before. And I, th- I mean, I don't know what's going to come. I don't think anyone does, or I'm sure someone does. And it's not saying to anyone that Gregory, um, what's his name, who's under, um, used to be Russia's, um, Doping officer. Uh, oh, the crazy ago. Russian uh, from the Icarus documentary. Yeah, I'm sure he is hiding somewhere. And he knows what's going to happen. Um, but as a normal bloke who doesn't really deal with that, I don't really know. And 
it does make me wonder. It does make me wonder. It makes which... everyone wonder, like, what could have happened that we don't know about, doesn't it? Yeah. I think that's the thing that um, a lot of people question. Yeah. Maybe on that note, it's probably best to end it. I think so. With those wonders where it's a little bit scary on what could be. Exactly, right? How we're being influenced by the Russians. Oh, God, please don't start. <laughs> that never happens. What are you on about? Exactly, yeah. Influencing our elections? Surely not. Anyways, um, thank you if you got to this point. Um, I hope, let us know what you thought of the new format with the little break in. Um, we'll do better to make sure that we're actually on it with our intros next time and yeah look forward to seeing you next time thanks for listening guys